Good. Yes, all good. Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. Great to have you listening or watching wherever you are. Today's exciting as always. As um, as I figured out last week when I talked to our next guest that I've never had a New Zealand guest on before, which I feel really, really bad about because I've had lots of Americans and UK people on, but I haven't had someone so close. So it's fantastic to have Stuart Robinson on, the founder of Mean Business, which is a project management and profit solution-based hospitality consultancy all the way in New Zealand. Hey, Stu, how are you? Good, mate. Thanks for having me on. It's an honour to be the first Kiwi. <laughs> no problem at all. It's an honour to have you on. Um, so, I mean, we talked, we talked at length um, the other week about your business and what you're doing. I really knew that it'd be poignant to have you on the show, especially... Um, during these times um, as business owners that listen to this podcast and people that work in the industry listen to this podcast, really evaluate their business and decide what they need to do to move forward um, to be sustainable. Um, So fantastic to have you on as a guest. Do you want to talk about how you started out in the hospitality industry, just so people understand that? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Well, I guess... um you know, the focus of my business is all about the business side of hospitality. So it's all about the, the commercial and operational side. So mm-hmm. um, my background is basically in, uh, started in marketing and, and a big corporate marketing actually and, and kind of worked my way up the food chain. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, my most recent job before I went out on my own um, was actually a general manager of a hospitality business. So it was mm-hmm. owned by a celebrated uh, New Zealand chef called Al Brown, who had mm-hmm. a couple of very successful restaurants, and um, um, uh, we, we developed a, a chain of um, of bagel shops. Actually, um, awesome. bagel shops were uh, a pretty, although they're bagels, it was a pretty innovative sort of a business. You know, mm-hmm. I, I literally started there the day we opened the doors on the very first first shop. Oh wow! And and we grew it up to I think. A, Six six outlets. Um, mm-hmm. It was it was quite a cool concept. We had a great big wood fire oven in the middle of, of most oh, of the outlets. Um, it was all about that kind of uh, entertainment meets meets mm-hmm. meets food. You know, lots of loud music, uh, big on atmosphere, that kind of thing. Inked um, staff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, worked with Al for for about six years, and then went off on my own. Um, I saw that there was an opportunity to transport. Um, hospitality operators by providing that kind of um, back of house support or that, um, that that general management support that some of them um, need, but can do that at a at a smaller cost. And and since then, I've I've been working a lot with um, operators, um, both independent and um, and hospitality groups, mm-hmm. and also a lot with um, landlords actually, landlords who want to support their tenants by um, providing hospitality support or consultancy support. Has it um has it been challenges you've sort of grown your consultancy to um to balance the need between you know a, a landlord client an independent restaurant client and a and a and a group client um all very different clients like has it been hard to balance their different wants and needs in those processes? That's a good question. In a way, no. In a way, their needs are all about the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the scope of work changes a little bit from client to client, but mm-hmm. um, you're still applying the same principles and that um, that sort of great wealth of experience that you get from being a consultant because you're operating across so many different businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, 
probably the, the, the biggest difference though is when you're dealing direct with a, a client or a, a, an independent operator or a group, mm-hmm. they're paying the bills. And so mm-hmm. they're, they're really engaged in the process. Mm-hmm. When, a, when a landlord pays for it, um, you get a real mixture. Some people completely embrace it. The service is free and they, they, they love it. Yes. Some of them um, could kind of do with the help. But mm. they, um, it, it can be hard to engage with them because they, they have, they're not paying the bills and it's kind of, you know. Uh, they, they, it's not, it's, a, it's a nice to have. They don't really, yeah, they probably not don't want you in the venue, but they're sort of, you know, they haven't really made the choice on you, right? It's been the landlord that's made the choice on you, I suppose. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, to answer your question, it's, uh, they're, they're pretty similar. You know, a lot of the challenges across the hospitality industry are, are pretty, pretty consistent, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, what are a couple of things that you sort of come across working across, you know, many different brands and in many different formats? Like what are the couple of consistent things which you, you know, are pretty common to always see between brands as issues? Um, Yeah, yeah. Look, probably um, quite a common one is is the old turnover challenge. Yeah. Um, You can can build the best business model in the world. You you can have your heavy food cost just right you can you can have your labor cost right on paper but unless you're getting that turnover the the, the numbers fall over a little bit mm-hmm. and so um and and what's interesting i think as well is that often people don't realize that they're not profitable yes <laughs> and, you know true. Uh, it, yeah and they don't want to realize so, right you know they don't want to exactly mm-hmm. precisely precisely and they, they've managed to get by somehow by working really hard in the business or you know kind of uh getting pretty good at uh, shifting money around but mm-hmm. um but until you have that turnover it's very hard to be be profitable but um miraculously it does it does work when when you get to that that, that sweet spot mm-hmm. so so working with them on that challenge is is is, 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 a, is a pretty common one mm-hmm. i think um you know a big challenge and i'm sure the same applies in australia is, is staffing but uh, yeah. getting and retaining and and, and training staff mm-hmm. um and often helping tenants scale um, the, the, you're going from one shop to two shops is mm-hmm. very different to, uh, to, to, it's more than double, right? I think going yes. to three again is, is mm-hmm. different. I know you've, you've talked about that on other podcasts as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so providing that support and actually making them realize that, hang on, if, if you, if you've got one business that you're putting your heart and soul into and working in day and night and, you, and, and, and you're not quite really making a profit, yeah. scaling to two might not be the, the, the best choice for you. Mm. Uh, let's work on the profitability and then look at scaling. Yeah. What's, um, obviously you're in, uh, I know it's been obviously a hard time for everyone worldwide in regards to COVID, but you know, New Zealand's been in a good little pocket, right? You've, you've, um, you had obviously a massive shutdown for, for four weeks. Um, and then now you're, as we were just um, saying before the podcast, you're in, you know, stage one now, which means basically there's no, there's no limitations, I believe. Um, you're almost eradicated COVID from New Zealand. Like, what have you seen happen over the last, you know, three months in, in New Zealand restaurants and bars? Yeah, well, it's, um, it's been a journey. And I, I suspect you guys have, have experienced a lot of that same journey yourself. Mm. I remember when they announced the, the change from, uh, or they announced that they were going to be moving from level three, uh, or sorry, from level two to level three, and that 48 mm-hmm. hours later, that would become level four, which is basically mm-hmm. a complete lockdown, don't leave your house. Yeah. Um, in a way, that was 
good news because I think a lot of operators had been kind of limping through for a while. There's a bit of uncertainty, mm-hmm. but the market had already started to erode around them. So it, it, it put a line under that and they could, they, could, they could move forward on that basis. However, we still had to figure out how we're going to survive when you, when you can't trade. Now, the government mm-hmm. put in a really good wage subsidy scheme that, that helped. Landlords helped a lot. Um, by and large, not 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 all, some more than others. Yeah, of course. Um, but we were able to get through that, and 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 the, and, and we got the, the cases dropped really quickly. Um, community transmission dropped really quickly, and we were able to get down to level two, which meant that people could, well, actually three and then two, so we could we could have some level of trade, home delivery, and mm-hmm. and uh, curbside pickup and things like that. Mm-hmm. And now we're in level one, and we're we're back in the back almost as as we always have been. The I think the restrictions under level one are that we have to um, wash our hands. Right. <laughs> we have okay. to yes. um, stay at home if we're sick and, and, and people at risk should, um, should take more caution. So it's really, it's open to say that. We opened, um, as we were chatting about before the, before the show, we, we opened a shopping centre that I was heavily involved in uh, a couple of days ago or two days after we, we went to level one. Mm-hmm. And if that's a test case for the world, it shows that uh, people who have been cooped up um, without spending too much money are, are ready to go for it because that shopping centre was absolutely rammed. And um, interestingly, people are, are, are back to normal. There's just yeah. you know, there's no social distancing. Businesses are booming. They're shopping. It's it's been been quite an amazing little journey. So we've gone from uncertainty to certainty around um, what's required of us that we have to have to close our doors. Yes, uncertainty about what that means for businesses' survival to um, almost this this um, utopia on the other end where everything's back to normal. Although there's one little caveat I just heard uh, today that there were actually two new cases today uh, that were reported mm. because there were two people in um, forced isolation that they'd come back from the UK, right, um, and had to go to a funeral and have now and 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 in doing so drove the length of the country. So um, <laughs> there's a few questions being raised about that. And look, I don't think it's going to have a massive impact on the way we're running things, but it does show you that actually things can change really quickly again. And that although we're in level one, it could potentially change before we find a cure for this thing. Yeah. Is there, now that you guys are in level one, is there any talk about social distancing or anything like that? Or is that, is that not even a, like I know that that might not be the, um, that might not be what people are doing. That's just going to be natural, but is mm. there even talk about that now or not really? Not really. No, no, yeah, it's, a, right. it's a distant memory. It really mm-hmm. is. It's quite, quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, um, when, when we went into this, um, and I'm sure the same thing happened in Australia and probably everywhere else in the world, there were a lot of questions asked about, well, what does it, you know, people aren't going to be comfortable going out in public for, or maybe forever, you know, we're going to have to be wearing face masks forever, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, if New Zealand's the canary in the coal mine, it's, <laughs> it's business as usual. Is that, does that worry you? I mean, if... If you know two people can go across the country and go from the North Island to the South Island or whatever it was, you know, and and create such a stir around two people, like how how do you think it's going to be when the borders open up again, and mm. you know, and all that kind of stuff happens? Because I'm, that's probably the biggest thing in my concern is that you know Australia is now you know doing a lot better. Obviously, New Zealand's in a better position than we are here, but both countries because of our small population for tourism and hospitality rely 
on tourists mm. coming in, right? But, you know, no one's going to come from China or um, the Philippines or America and then have big quarantine for two weeks before they, you know, before they go around the country, either of our countries. Like, how do you think it's going to work, Stuart? That's a really good question. There's probably a couple of factors there. I think, um, I think people were pretty fed up with the lockdown anyway. Uh, mm. they, they'd, they'd done mm. their time. So I kind of think that people started to realise that there were actually no new cases for a long time. The risk was really low. And yep. if, if we hadn't moved to Elite Level 1, the public would have probably moved to Elite Level 1 yeah, on, the, on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, containing it and managing the tourism is going to be really, really tricky. And um, mm-hmm. my only guess at this stage is that it's still going to require a 14 um, month, a 14 day, sorry, isolation. Mm-hmm. And I suspect after the situation today, they'll probably be um, much more rigorous with that. Yes. Um, in terms of the tourists and, and the industry, you're, you're right. I mean, tourism is a massive um, uh, export for New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the lot of the operators rely on on tourism, but conversely, it's also a massive import for us. You know, yeah, a lot of true. Kiwis travel, and so I don't think it will net out completely. But it's probably it's not like we've we've lost tourism. There's nothing back filling it. It's actually yeah, a lot of Kiwis trapped in, or a lot of people trapped in, in the country can't get out and yeah. want to spend their money and, and want to show They'll their spend support, it with inside so. their own country. Yeah, yeah, mm. exactly, exactly. Mm. And, and at the moment, uh, people are probably spending beyond what their confidence levels should be. Yes. Because uh, you know, they're spending like everything's sweet and, and there's going to be a long financial tail to this thing. But so far, so good. Do you think, do you think normal punters sort of realise that it, it will be, you know, a long recovery for, for, you know, industries which are the hardest hit like hospitality and arts and, and tourism and that kind of stuff. And there's a cost involved in that because I, I'm talking with so many hospitality owners at the moment and they're so concerned um, in Australia, how like our for load system, our job keeper system uh, and payment will, will likely finish in the end of September. And yep. they're thinking that will bring on a third wave of closures um, at the end of September towards mm. the end of the year which is a concern, is, is that kind of stuff being talked about in New Zealand as well? Yes, a little bit. I think, um, you know, there is this remarkable confidence, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, which is really great, you know, mm-hmm. but um, you're trying to get into a restaurant at the moment is, is pretty, pretty tough. Mm. But, um, you know, the wage subsidy has insulated a lot of people from job loss at this stage. And yep. it's really going to, it's really going to depend on what happens in the next couple of couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, if those people, the wage subsidy comes off and those people start to lose their jobs, then it's going to, mm-hmm. it's going to affect things and probably spook people um, who have got their jobs still. And that, you know, so I think, you know, in order for the economy to work, you have to have money and confidence and yeah. um, without, uh, we've got an oversupply probably of confidence at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um if that drops, uh, I guess we'll we'll see what happens. Hopefully, we can keep the two two in check. And I guess it's the government's job, uh, to a large degree, to to sort of help us navigate our way through this. How's how's the um how's the job subsidy sort of working in New Zealand? Because here, like I'm hearing that, and especially in America as well, where I've talked to my American counterparts, they're saying that it's tro- it's actually troublesome at the moment to get staff back into venues that are actually working because they're getting more money, being on government support. 
now it's probably increased across the across the board than actually working, you know, at right. a normal yeah. job. Is that is that something that's happening in New Zealand as well, or not really? Uh, not 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 too much actually. So the way it worked is um, the employer got the wage subsidy and paid the mm-hmm. employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the same as as, as Australia, but yep. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so um, they also, in order to be able to do that, they also had to um, be able to demonstrate or, or provide reasonable assurance that they're going to be able to keep that person after mm-hmm. the wage subsidy ended. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so um, and I guess a lot of employees are aware that. Um, there's, there's, there's cuts across all sectors, so um, you don't want to be the guy saying stuff. Yeah, I'm not gonna not gonna come into work because you might find it harder to find work in the future. Or yeah, you know, so, so by and large, um, employees have been pretty pretty good. Um, you know, my wife's got a, a business outside of hospitality, but she um, she has a lot of staff, and and you know, her staff were fantastic. They were grateful to be able to retain their their jobs. She sort mm-hmm. of nursed the business through this this time, and I think that's pretty typical of a lot of employees out there. Stuart, as you're talking, I just feel a bit jealous in how well it's gone, which is fantastic. And largely in Australia, it's gone exceptionally well as well, which has been, you know, great for both our countries. Like, mm. why, do you, why do you think it has gone so well for both our countries, you know, in comparison to other countries in the world where we've seen, you know, obviously, uh, tragically, a big loss of life and, and obviously businesses which are much more, much more struggling than what we are in both our countries? Like, do you think it's been... A case of leadership do you think it's just you know structure of how our people actually work in, in different countries like what do you put it down to yeah i think i think leadership was probably the, the, the main reason that we were able to get through this so well um we were communicated to really really well we knew where we stood in terms of the alert levels that um the government had, had, had put in place um and i think there's probably some similarities between aussies and kiwis you know that we do have this collective psyche which I feel like you know we, we we unite quite quite nicely together when we when we need to, and yeah, um, it certainly certainly helped things. So what I mean, obviously you've you've had time to think about and strategize, you know, how how businesses are going to best recover from this stew. Like, what are the couple of things that you think are going to be positive coming out of this for the hospitality industry moving forward, or as we you know try and build a, a model that is more sustainable? Yeah, look, I think um, it's both a good, good and bad thing. You know, the, the mm. strongest have survived, and mm-hmm. um, although that's that's sad for the those that were possibly a little bit weaker, I think you know that the collective will, will will go on and and, and grow stronger from mm-hmm. it. Um, there was a bit of an oversaturation in, in terms of hospitality in this country, particularly in Auckland, and with less. With, with 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 less competition, I guess, and less less pressure on on available staffing and things like that, I think the businesses that have come through this well will will will, will get even better. Now, I've noticed a real correlation between the businesses that have have travelled fairly well through COVID um, and those that haven't, and and, and the, the survivors are the ones that have uh, have a relevant brand that really engages with their with their local mm-hmm. market. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they kept on engaging with those people during lockdown. And, and as soon as they were able to trade, even on a, on a limited basis, the customers flocked back to them. Mm-hmm. Often cases, they were, they were pretty generous with the way they spent their money too, which is really great. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I think it'll be uh, the rich, case of the rich getting richer. Yeah, it's, it, yeah, only the best will survive and those, those best will get bigger, right? Like, 
the the oversupply i think when we talked the other week on the phone the oversupply of venues is is something which is not a new zealand thing and something which is not an australian thing it's a worldwide comment i get and i have got for last probably probably two to three years i suppose um as i've talked to different people like why do you think that's been allowed to happen and everyone knows it's happening you know but but you know brands have still you know some brands have still grown exponentially do you think it's Mm-hmm. Like, what, what's your thoughts on that? Like, do you think it's a bit, uh, councils should regulate it more on the amount of food licenses that are actually allowed or what's your thoughts? It's a, it's a very good question. I think as soon as you bring the council into the equation, um, mm. it, um, you could potentially wind up with the result you didn't, didn't want. Yes. But, um, but um, I guess there's a really low barrier to entry in, in hospitality. It's very easy to um, take on an existing operation or an existing site uh, slap some paint on it. Um, you know, you're pretty pretty good at cooking, so you, you know you, you you throw menus together, and mm-hmm. and it takes a while before you to realise that you you're not making any money, and and you've got a heavy lease hanging over your head, so you so you make it work somehow. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think that allows a lot of a lot of people to get into the industry for for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly not a good thing for the industry because those guys, um, I guess, tend to get a bit decent. They tend to tend to um, position themselves around price and um, that brings the whole whole category, the whole industry down a little bit. So it conditions the public to be Absolutely. more price sensitive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a universal problem that um, that no one's really making enough in hospitality these days. So um, I think, you know, back to the earlier question about the, um, or my earlier answer, I guess, about the, the strong surviving, I guess that will allow the industry to flourish a little bit more and, um, and for prices to increase and maybe, if anything, margins to increase a little bit as well. I think they, they need to. Yeah, I um, agree. But in terms of, of, of regulating and controlling it, um, it's, it's, it's bloody tough. You know, there's a lot of people, uh, a, lot, a lot of retailers, uh, non-hospitality retailers that are, that are falling over. Uh, landlords get quite motivated to try and fill those spaces. The retail industry has changed, so hospitality seems like a good idea and they offer some pretty, pretty tempting incentives to get their, mm-hmm. get their operators in there. Absolutely. Do, do you think this is going to lead to some reform around probably the two levers of hospitality that can potentially change that being around rents and landlords and, and the second one being around, you know, wages? Do, do you think there could be reform in those two areas? I know there's definitely conversations here around, you know, wage reform to a degree, um, definitely mm-hmm. early, early process. But do you think, you know, you're dealing a lot with landlords? Do you, do you think there is a, you know, correction that could happen or do you feel it's just going to be status quo? Yeah, I mean, I'm really lucky that landlords that I work with have been extremely good to their tenants over this and mm. um, they know that, that the game's changed and they've got to, um, without their tenants, um, uh, assisting their tenants and, put, and, and being really selective with their, with their new tenants, They're, they mm-hmm. haven't got a business. Mm-hmm. and the values of the, the buildings drop. So um, the guys I've been working with are great, and I think that mindset will, um, well, I guess not all landlords are that good, but, but yeah. the good landlords will will attract the best tenants and that will alter the market. You know? So, mm-hmm. um, yes, I think I think there will be a, somewhat of a reform there. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of in terms of wages, we're quite different in New Zealand. Um, you know, the, the wages are a lot lower in New Zealand. We don't have the... Mm. Um, uh, the, 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 the weekend rates that you have in, right. I believe in mm-hmm. Australia. Mm-hmm. So um, I think wages need to come up, but until 
until um, the price of food goes up, the price of meals go up, it's very hard to pay staff staff more. Uh, there's not a lot of people getting fed out of hospitality, right? <laughs> funny no, story. I was going to say, isn't it, isn't it funny how no matter what kind of country it is, like it, it seems to be the same profit profit line right like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter like you know uh you know in certain parts of america like wages would be slightly slightly cheaper and that kind of stuff but then but then the the rental costs will be extremely high like if you're in san francisco or la or new york or whatnot so it's so much pressure on the top line to produce it and then new zealand like you know i think you'd have comparable rents to what we do you'd, you'd yeah. have lower lower wages but then i reckon your food costs are probably higher because you're essentially a massive island that probably, you know, I know some of the best food in the world comes out of New Zealand, but, but also there'd be a lot of importation of food coming in New Zealand, which has a cost. So it's, um, it seems to just end up the same, doesn't it? It's weird. It, it somehow does, I guess. Um, you know, everyone, everyone follows that model. So if, you, if your wage costs are really high or your, or your, or your or cost of labour is quite high, I should say, or your you know, cost of food is quite high, you, you trim your menu accordingly or you trim your, mm. your, your rosters and, and the way you, 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 you manage your staff a lot, mm-hmm. lot different. Mm. Exactly, exactly. Mm. I know. So I remember going to a restaurant in Australia um, quite a few years ago now and they were mm-hmm. talking about the wage cost being really high. Mm-hmm. And in the particular venue we were at, uh, it was, I was actually um, having, having lunch with the owner. He said, you know, you watch, watch the staff here. They hit your table really quickly. They take your order and they go. Because yep. <laughs> they have to, you know, they've got to, they've got to run the, the, the roster so lean. Um, yeah, exactly. Mm. It's quite different to what we have here in New Zealand. Right. Um, that's a good thing. Um, might mean that you have a better, a better experience than what we do here in, in some of our venues. So probably where it ends. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what kind of areas of the market, hospitality market, do you think are going to be hit the hardest coming out of the Stuart? Do you think it's going to be, you know... Um, you know, that sort of lower end of the market, the fast food venues, the sort of QSRs, fast premium, fast casual, you know, fine dining bars, pubs, you know, what's your gut feel on what you're hearing at the moment? It's a good question. I think in terms of categories, there'll be similar drop off at, at each level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it'll be a case of those guys who have, who've kind of got by for the last few years um, based on, happening to be in the right location or you know, mm-hmm. happening to be able to get enough customers through the door to, to survive. Those are the ones that will drop off. I think one of the interesting effects that we'll feel in New Zealand, and I'd be curious to know if it will happen in Australia, is, is um, around our suppliers because a lot of New Zealand um, produce that's served in restaurants comes from local producers, but yes. those local producers also export a lot as well. Mm. And right now the export market's taking a real hammering. So um, whether those guys are able to get through that and survive is, is, is from yet to be seen. Yeah, it's a real real concern because, you know, um, New Zealand has this amazing image of such a fresh and clean um, food product that comes through, especially in things like dairy and things like meat and stuff like that. So mm. um, it would it would be a concern if, if that was... Um, challenged in the market you know the next the next few years i certainly hope not um fingers crossed it's a big industry absolutely and employs a lot of people um last question to you like what are you what are you looking forward to next like what are the couple of the things that you have uh coming up pretty soon that are exciting you um i've got a uh, got a uh, multi um tenant um venue that's um uh, just sort of come my way. Uh, so awesome. a bit of a, a 
redevelopment there, which I'm quite excited about. It's a mm-hmm. Uh, property with quite a bit of history, um, mm-hmm. and um, although it needs to tickle up, it's it's really relevant to a lot of a lot of Kiwis. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that'll be a bit, a bit of a passion project. Um, mm-hmm. Betting down this the shopping centre will be will be another big job for me in the uh, medium term, and um, mm-hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see if the honeymoon phase that we're in right now um, carries on for for a while. Yeah, um, absolutely, <laughs> and. Um, and really, uh, you know, I've, I've been I've been working on my own um, blog site, so I'm really uh, trying to find the time to to, to focus on that and, and put some put some effort into that and, and, and enjoy the writing um, rather than yeah, um, absolutely rather than just pushing it out. Much ops to get something out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. I know exactly how that is. Um, Stuart, what's the best way that people can find out about more about me and business and and what you do in New Zealand? Yeah, sure. Well. Um, meanbusiness.co.nz is my uh, is my URL. Mm-hmm. Uh, my 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 um, uh, blog site is uh, myprofitkitchen.com, um, mm-hmm. and both of those talk to each other. Um, so you can find me through either of those. Awesome. Uh, linked up in the bio of this podcast, as always, Stuart Robertson. Thanks so much for your time. You're welcome, mate. <laughs>